You're listening to the Ignite Sessions podcast, hosted by Virginia Tech Chi Alpha. Our hope for this podcast is to encourage listeners to pursue God's kingdom and His righteousness. We hope you're blessed by today's episode. All right. We're going to start moving back to our seats. Three, two, one. Hey, welcome to Ignite. We are glad you guys are here. So tonight I want to talk to you. You guys know we've kind of wrapped up a series on the fear of the Lord. I want to talk to you tonight about Seek First. If there's a title of my message, it's going to be called Seek First, just because Benny asked me right before I got up here, and I said, okay, Seek First. Let's go with that. So as you probably could tell where we're going. But let me pray and let's dive in. Jesus, we love you. God, thank you for your presence in this place. And how sweet it is to be in your presence, God. Thank you for making a way for us. Thank you for your great love for us. God, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the empty tomb. God, thank you for your grace. God, thank you for the word of God. And we're asking today, God, that you would speak to us. God, would you transform our life today? God, that we'd become more like Jesus as we spend time in your word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Priority. Priority, the fact or condition of being regarded or treated as more important. Let me say it again. Priority, the fact or condition of being regarded or treated as more important. What is your priority in life? How do we begin to discover what our priorities are in life? Well, I think it's what we spend or show special attention to. Maybe one of the ways we could begin to discover what our priorities are are where we spend the majority of our time. What is it that we spend the majority of our time doing? Who are the people we spend the majority of time with? There's another way to tell us what our priorities are, and that is our bank account. We can very quickly begin to tell where our priorities lie by where we spend our money. So I think you can say this, our priorities can be discovered by where we spend the majority of our time or where we spend and or where we spend the majority of our money. Now, if you grew up in a Christian home, you might have been told, right, this idea of God first, family second, then career, then school, right? Like kind of that order. Now, again, I don't know what your experience has been, but in my home, we went to church on Sunday, but that was about as far as Christianity went in my home, right? Like I didn't, oh, I I should back up. We did pray over every dinner, right? Like that was the meal you needed to bless. No other meal, but that was the meal. I don't know if you, anybody else in the household like that? Like once I became a missionary, I also became the professional prayer. I don't Anyway, if you ever decide to sign up, you'll, you'll find out what, <laughs> what I mean by that. Every family gathering. I was just in Florida with my family. Every time there was a moment to pray, it was, Anthony, you got this one? Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Everybody can pray. Anyway, <clears throat> this idea of God first, I, I, I was told this over and over and over again, even by my own parents, but I hadn't really witnessed what does that look like. How do we live with God first in our life and everything else second? Because to be honest, like if all we ever do is open the Bible at church on Sunday, I can't imagine that really being God first, right? Or if all we ever do is talk to God before dinner, then is there, real, is there a real relationship with him at that time? And, you know, I just want to be honest with you. God didn't die and, and come to life three days later so you have one hour with him on Sunday morning. I think he deserves and longs for way more than that. Amen? And, and because of that, like, I, it's, it's hard for us to understand that, no, God desires so much more of our life. But here's the thing that I've noticed over the years is that there's one thing that, that kind of impacts us putting God first, maybe more than anything else. And this word that I'm about to share is, is a word that is almost like a buzzword. It's something that we're really aware of. It's a word that starts with the letter A, and it is anxiety. 
I think anxiety and being anxious is something that can often keep us from connecting with God. I believe it's a threat to us. Now, I think it's also interesting, by the way, Sam had no idea that I was going to preach on this this morning, yet she was feeling anxious. You guys remember when she ended prayer? She was saying, hey, I just think maybe, maybe God is really up to something tonight, and maybe he wants to deliver some people from anxiety. And so I think this is important. Anxiety is a feeling or worry, nervousness or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. And let's be honest, right? Like there's so many things at this moment that it's easy to be anxious about. It's, it's easy for us to be anxious when we going off to college, right? Did we, did we make the right decision did, when, we, when we said yes to VT, did we make the right decision? Am I at the right spot? Am I studying the right major? Maybe I should have went to UVA. Wait, no, that was probably never a thought. But <laughs> I had to throw that one in there. <clears throat> but maybe you're also anxious about the group of people that you hang out with. Will they accept you for who you are? Do you have to be somebody else? Are you anxious about the classes that you're taking? Are you going to fail? Will you make it through? Or maybe you're anxious about how on earth are you going to pay for this school once you get out of here? Maybe you're anxious about getting a job after school. Will anybody even hire me? Maybe I don't interview well, and so all of a sudden there's this extra fear, extra anxiety stirring within our hearts. Maybe you're anxious about whether or not you're going to be alone for the rest of your life. Will anybody ever be willing to spend the rest of their life with me? These are real things that can really start to hinder us in our pursuit of the things of God because what happens is when, when we become anxious about things, our focus begins to get set on those one thing, that one thing, that, that thing that is consuming our thoughts and our emotions and our fears. We begin to focus on that. And, and to be honest, like it begins to, to take our attention away from the things of God and trusting God and moving them on to how do I fix this? How do I a deal with this and almost like trying to control our life instead of trusting God in the midst of all of that. I remember a few years ago as a, as a missionary, we do this thing called Mission Move-In. And some of you, if you're new to Chi Alpha, that's what you experienced when you went to our watermelon party or something in a mug party. You know, those moments, that first, that whole week that you were moving in and you came to, you know, nacho night or whatever it is, every night we had something. We were out on campus meeting people. Well, a few years ago, we... <clears throat> We bought a thousand Nalgene water bottles, and we were everywhere on campus. We were out in front of Moe's. We were at Walmart because every student has to go to Walmart to get your last few things you forgot. You know what I'm saying? And this is all before Walmart no longer lets us be there. But we we would we would buy a thousand Nalgene water bottles with a Chi Alpha logo on it. And if you came up and you were interested and you put your name down, we gave you a free water bottle, right? And they were nice water bottles, okay? In fact, they were expensive. So the best I could do with my printed, with a Chi Alpha printed logo on it was like $6,200 for a thousand of them. So we're getting for six bucks. They sell retail like, I think they're like 50, maybe probably even 20 bucks now. So anyway, the point is this, we, we're getting a deal. Well, after that first year, we had more contacts than we had ever had in all of our history here on campus. And so we're like, I got to do this again. And so I decided, like, how can I make this cheaper so I don't have to raise the 6250 bucks to buy these water bottles? Like, right? Like, I've got to figure this out. So I started talking to some companies, and I got one company that said, hey, listen, if you allow us to print our logo on it, we'll pay... X amount of dollars. Well, it was like almost the whole thing. I think they were going to give us $4,000 for these water bottles. I was like, score. I wouldn't even really need to raise money for this thing, right? And so the time, it's coming down to, right, August. It's, it's mid-July, and I called them up. They had already agreed to it, but they didn't sign anything. And I call them up in July, and they said, oh, yeah, you never know. We're not going to do that. <gasps> and I just had a freak-out session. Like, what? 
I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I was like, what are we going to do? We've got no water bottles. How are we going to get these contacts? Like, this is the end of Chi Alpha at Virginia Tech. Like, things like that begin to race through your mind when you're anxious. It's funny because, right, it's, it seems so silly, but isn't it interesting that we can get so caught up in things like that? We can get so caught up, so focused on this one little detail that really, does God need water bottles? <laughs> no, but because I'm so focused in it, I was like freaking out, and you know what I did? I was like, I'll pay for the water bottles. I got some plastic, and I personally paid for the water bottles. Guess what happened next? I started freaking out even more because now I'm $6,250 in the hole, right? Like on a credit card. On a credit card. Don't do that, by the way. It's, It's not worth losing sleep over or having long conversations with your wife about. And it's interesting to me because this is the stuff like that, that, that it is, it's both silly, but it's so real. It's silly, but so real. But when we don't seek first the kingdom, things like this become way bigger. And the truth is, and the reason why it's funny is because God really doesn't need water bottles to reach college students but I was so caught up in it. And as we examine the scriptures tonight, we see how God speaks to us about, hey, listen, don't worry about what you need. Don't worry about what you need. And then he begins to speak to us. So let's take a look at this, amen? This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 23 through 24. So this is the Sermon on the Mount. And he's giving us a window into this sermon on what it looks like to live in the kingdom, what it looks like to live in the kingdom. So this is Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 through 34. This is what the Word of God says. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value? Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So don't be anxious. If it was only that simple. You see, earlier in this passage, Jesus makes this statement, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Ending those thoughts with what we read in verse 24. No one can serve two masters because your heart only has the capacity to serve one God. The question is, will it be money or God? You see, anyone can work for two employers, but a master or a slave would have ownership and full-time service of that slave. This is why you could, it could never be possible to be in full-time service to two different people or two different things or two different places because it's, you can't do that. D.A. Carson, a Bible commentator, says, either God is served with a single-eyed devotion 
or he has not served at all. Anxiety and worry point to the one fact that, our, that your treasure, that my treasure, that our hearts are wrapped up in earthly things, money, house, car, career, school. Anxiety and worry come from a misplaced priority in our lives. And we are more focused on this life and what happens in it, so we begin to feel the pressure of life weighing us down. We often and easily take things into our own hands instead of trusting God to be who He is or turning to God. To, to worry, to be anxious, only declares that we don't really believe God is who He says He is. Matthew Henry, another Bible commentator, says this, the forbidden thought here is that disquieting, tormenting thought which hurries the mind hither and thither and hangs it in suspense, which disturbs our joy in God and dampens our hope in Him, which hinders our sleep and enjoyment of ourselves, friends, and what God has given us. No fun at all. And, and you know that when you're anxious, oftentimes we lay down in bed at night and we just, the things just start racing through our mind of things that maybe aren't even going to happen, but we start to imagine them happening, right? Have you ever been there where you're laying in bed wide-eyed, you're like tired, but you're like racing through all of the, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, and it robs us of our sleep. <clears throat> Again, anxiety about the future, anxiety about a future career, a future family. Will I fail? Will I be successful? And it's crazy that Jesus addresses this, right? That we're reading about Jesus teaching about this on the Sermon on the Mount years and years earlier. Why? Because it's been a problem in humanity for a long time. It's not new. It's not a new thing. He came as the Prince of Peace because he knew that we were people that needed the Prince of Peace in our life. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. says this, do not be anxious about everything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, after my crazy, honestly, like, I wish it, you know, I, I'm not going to kind of act it out, but I, I was low-key freaking out about these water bottles, right? Like, this was a really big deal stressful, anxious, all these. Once I spend the money, I was like, I'm an idiot. You know, like, why would I do that? And, and I just, I, I had, where, there was only one place I could go, right? And that was to the Lord. And I began to pray. And, and, and just by fixing my mind and my heart on Jesus and asking God to take care of the situation, I noticed that all of a sudden what was so crazy and what was taking all of my time and all of my thought and literally all of my energy, right, was all of a sudden was, I was being zapped by this one thing. As I turned to the Lord, what I noticed is that the peace of God started to, almost like a blanket came and rested on me. And although at that moment nothing had happened, I, I realized, no, you know what? I can trust God. I don't know what he's going to do with my mistake. I don't know what he's going to do. But I'm going to trust God and believe in his ability to rescue me, to save me, to provide. Right? I was, I was choosing in that moment. And I love this because this is exactly what Jesus is doing. He brings us into perspective in the midst of this. As, 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 as anxiety is so easily creeps into our life, God reminds us that there is no need to worry about, especially when it comes to the basic needs of life. He says, the birds of the air don't sow, don't reap, don't store up any food for themselves, but God takes care of them. And again, this doesn't mean that they don't have to do anything, right? When's the last time you saw a little sparrow sitting on the edge of a, of a tree just like this? And just like bugs just flying in, right? No, we've never seen that, right? But God has provided plenty of bugs on the planet and the birds. They still need to go make their way and God still takes care of them. 
He also clothes the lily of the field. They neither toil nor spin, yet God made them beautiful. So if he takes care of the birds of the air and he clothes the lilies of the field, how much more would he care for you? There was, uh, when, when our kids were little, we used to play these, uh, play these songs in the car. And it, it was about a mom would, would sing scripture basically to her kids. And, and one of the songs says this, he says, he made the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. And though you don't have petals and wings, you are so much more important to the God who created everything. I used to think it was so powerful, right? Even in that moment as we're raising kids in those moments of like the reality of life hits you when you have got screaming kids in the back of the car. And so I think those songs were more for Michelle and I than they were for my kids. But it's so true. The God that we're worshiping here tonight is the God that created everything. But not only that, he's the God that created you and I in his image, right? We, we bear the image of God. Though it is fallen, we bear the image of God. And he is faithful. This is who he is. He is the God who made a covenant with humanity through his son, right? He obviously speaks of how much he cares deeply to provide you and I an opportunity to be set free from the wages. What we earn from sin is death. What we earn from it is separation from God forever, but he cares so much about you and about I that he would make a way, right, for you and I to have relationship with him, not just on Sunday morning, not just on Monday night, but every moment of every day that we would walk in relationship with him. It is easily seen when we understand the gospel of Jesus Christ that this God cares deeply about everything about your life. And yet sometimes we get distracted and we don't think through all of that. I love this idea that uh, this pastor in California mentioned. He says, miracles are not God's momentary act of intervention but a revelation of his character. Miracles are not God's momentary act of intervention, but a revelation of his character. You know what's so crazy about after I turned to the Lord and started praying and asking God to, to just like regain focus about these silly water bottles. You know what happened about a week later? I got a call from a guy who said, hey, Anthony, we're, we sold our house and we would like to tithe off of the earnings on our house. Why don't you take a guess at how much that is? $6,252. He covered it with $2 extra. Come on. I'm just saying, right? Like, it's so crazy. And it was a revelation of God's character, right? That he's Jehovah Jireh, that he's the God who provides Right? That this is the reality of, of our God in heaven is that he is who he says he is and his character will remain true to all times at all, in all places. This is who God is. God's character, his names, his promises will never change. And so then we don't need to worry as followers of Jesus. God is with you. God is for you. He's not against you. He's so trustworthy. Listen, there will be people that let you down in life. But God is trustworthy. He is faithful to take care of you. He cares for you even when you don't feel him. I don't know about you, but there's something powerful about the reality of knowing that God is bigger than feeling. You know, that we come in here and, and yes, some of us might sense the presence of God and maybe sometimes you're sitting around and you're watching people and you're like, why are they crying and worshiping God or why are they getting down on their knees? And you're like, I'm not feeling anything. It's okay because you know why? In the Bible, it says that he inhabits the praises of his people so you don't have to feel him to know that he's there. Do you understand? And all of a sudden we start to see like this is the reality of understanding who our God is to be faithful to who he declares he is and that doesn't change. And so whether we feel or see anything, we can stand on the truth of his word 
and not be shaken by what's happening around us. This is why you don't have to be anxious because God is faithful to who he says he is. This is the God who provides, who cares deeply about us. He loves you and he wants intimate relationship with you. Not only that, he knows what you need before you even ask. Therefore, since he cares for you, and he knows what you need, why do we worry? Why are we anxious about these things? It's interesting that he says this, even the the Gentiles go seeking after these things. Worrying about these things is, is really an affront to who God is. In fact, we are acting more like Gentiles, more like pagans in the moment that we are filled with anxiety over these things because we're, we, we often take them, again, like I said, we, we take, try to take control of the situation instead of trusting God. D.A. Carson says, for any other concern to dominate one's mind is to stoop to pagan fretting. He also says Jesus' disciples must live lives qualitatively different from those of people who have no trust in God's fatherly care and no fundamental goals beyond material things. And I'm just going to be honest with you real quick. I'm not going to hit on this long, but as a father myself, I understand Like, I understand my desire for my kids. I'd understand, like, how I want them to succeed in life, how I don't want them to to be fearful. I want them to have security. I want all of those things for my my kids' lives. But I also am keenly aware of the fact that I am not perfect, which could often cause there to be misconceptions when we talk about God as Father. But you can trust Him. There is one perfect Father in His name is God. And He is faithful. And so let's not act like people without faith. Like that's that's why when we look back in hindsight, like at this whole idea, and this is not the only time. The water bottles are not the only time that I look back at my life and I'm like, what's wrong with me? Why am I worried about such little things. Because for some reason in that moment, my eyes are taken off of the fact that God is with me, that God is for me, that God cares deeply about every aspect of my life, every one of them that I can trust Him in that way. So Jesus says this, so seek first the kingdom and righteousness. You see, the priority for all disciples is that we should seek first his kingdom. And so let me just explain real quickly. What do I mean by the kingdom of God? I mean the reign and the rule of Jesus. Everywhere he is king. Jesus is telling us we must make the reign and the rule of Jesus a priority in our lives. In other words, to make his kingdom our aim, to seek, to desire, to pursue, to press towards, to give diligence, to make it sure, to resolve not to come short of it. The kingdom of God should have precedence over everything, his reign and his rule. I'll quote D.A. Carson again. He says, To seek first the kingdom is to desire above all to enter into, submit to, to participate in spreading the news of the saving reign of God, the messianic kingdom already inaugurated by Jesus, and to live so as to store up treasures in heaven in the prospect of the kingdom's consummation. I'm just going to throw this into my words in a much simpler way. To seek first the kingdom is to desire to be a part of this kingdom. To walk in submission to the king. To participate in the mission of the gospel. And to do all that we can unto the Lord every day as we wait for his return. You see, to seek first the kingdom, I think it requires wholehearted devotion and allegiance. 
And so let me give you some practical tips. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom? I think it means that we prioritize the kingdom in our life. Do we see the reign and the rule of Jesus in our lives as the most important thing? Do we spend more time with Jesus and talking to him, talking about Jesus, reading about him, thinking about him, worshiping, praising him than anything else in our life? Do we worship God with our studies, with our social life, and with our private life? Do we seek first his kingdom in our life? Many of you guys know that I grew up playing soccer. I would say that as I look back on my life, my high school years, my college years, I had uh, a priority other than God, and it was the game of soccer, right? I lived, I ate, I slept, I dressed, I did all of it for the game, right? It was my priority. I was the guy that even in college, like, I trained before training started, right? I made sure that I was the best, in the best shape of my life, the way that I ate, the way that I spent my time, everything was about this game until the day that I met Jesus. But let me just say this. It was in that season of my life that, that I, I look back after coming to know Jesus and I realized the reason I did that is because I wanted to fit in. I wanted a place. I wanted people to accept me. I wanted people to, to, to value what I brought to the table. Do you, are you following me? So I, I went extra above and beyond. And, and I too would lay it awake. Because when you play in college, like there's no guarantee. You know, there's no guarantee. Like tomorrow someone can come in and be better than me and I'm out. And so the anxiety and the, the pressure. So I did everything I could to hold on to that. Do you, are you following me? And then I came to know Jesus. You want to know something crazy? Two things happened after I came to know Jesus. I played better than I ever have in my entire life. Why? Because my identity was no longer in a game but in Jesus. There was a freedom that came with not having to impress anybody, but just a freedom that came with when I stepped on the field. I didn't, I didn't care what anybody else thought. I only cared for playing for one. The other thing that I would just say, too, is, um, well, let me, let me move on. Choosing Jesus before everything else, what does it look like practically? Again, it means that we spend time with him, we walk with him, we talk with him. Does Jesus get first priority in your life? <clears throat> in order to prioritize the kingdom, we need to have a plan. Now, I don't know where you're at in life. There's a lot of type A personalities in here. If I were to look at your planner, I'd probably be like overwhelmed as a, as a type B personality. You know what I'm saying? But, but I do believe this, that in order to prioritize something, you have to plan it. You just, you just, it just doesn't happen. You have to actually make a plan. And I believe we have to plan. We have to have a plan in place to prioritize the kingdom in our lives. Otherwise, we, if we fail to plan, we plan to fail. Simple thoughts, right? Just practical, simple thoughts. What if you started every day and you ended every day? The book ends, right? That you started every day acknowledging the fact that you need God and you ended every day thanking God for the way that he came through in your life. That is a good place to start. You know, when I was in the University of Montana and I, got, I came to know Jesus, that's when I, you know, connected with Chi Alpha for the first time. I had decided in my life that I was up every morning at 5 a.m. and I was spending time with Jesus. I'm not asking you to do that. This is not like, hey, this is how this works, just so you know, right? But, but I decided that I would get up early and seek the Lord. And then I would end every day, 10 o'clock, no matter what was going on in my house. There was 10 guys in my house that, and there was people at my house consistently Right? But I chose at 10 o'clock, no matter who was in my house, I'd say goodnight, and I'd go, and I'd spend time with Jesus. Guys, can I just tell you, that was some of the most powerful and formative years of my life. Those are the moments where you've heard me tell stories of Jesus coming in my room and the presence of God so real I couldn't move, right? Those were moments. Like, I, 
I'm just telling you, like, like as we begin to prioritize God, but you, I had to have a plan. I had a plan that no matter what was happening, I was going to step away and spend time with God. No matter what my night was like before. By the way, if you spend time with Jesus from 10 to 11 and go to bed at 11, it's easier to get up at 5. Just a, that's a, that's a freebie, just in case you needed one. Right? Having a plan. And secondly, I would just say, or last, third, is perseverance. That you persevere through circumstances. Guys, I don't know about you, but, but I know that your circumstances in life right now are crazy, right? Because you go from semester to break to semester to break. You have all kinds of breaks even through. Uh, classes get canceled and it throws off your schedule, right? Like, so sometimes when, we, when, when circumstances begin to get change in our life, like we're like, whoa, what do I do? But when you prioritize the kingdom and you have a plan that no matter what the circumstances, it's going to help you persevere But you, as you develop these things right, in your life, and persevering despite the circumstances, that you, you miss a day, you don't hang your head, you, you spend the next day like, okay, I'm going to get up tomorrow, like, you don't think more poorly of yourself, God doesn't look at you because you missed your devotional life, like, oh, forget you, right, like, he cares deeply about you, in fact, I would say his sentiment is more like, oh, my son, I missed you today. He's not standing there heavy-handed waiting to smack you over the back of the head like, where were you? But you know what? Sometimes in life, we actually think God looks at us that way. But it's not true. I love a quote by Bob Sorge. He says, the most violent thing you'll ever do is to carve time out in your day the most violent thing you will ever do. Listen, the reason why we need to be able to persevere through this is because sometimes you have to get vigilant with your time. Okay, you have to persevere through whatever circumstances thrown at you. Finals week, you can persevere, right? You know, we've all been there. Finals week comes, who, where, what else do I have? Nothing, right? Because you're so focused on that moment. But Jesus still exists in those weeks, right? And after finals week, get back. Don't let it throw you off. Persevere through the circumstances. Fight to spend time with God even in those moments. And watch what begins to happen. There's a passage of Scripture, and we know it well. It's about two women, Mary and Martha. This is what the Word of God says now. As they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Who welcomed him? Martha. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching, but Martha was distracted with much serving. I don't know if you've ever been there. Distracted with doing all, everything that needs to be done. And she went up to Jesus and said to him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Listen, I'm just going to say this because I I think that the people in this room are going to be leaders. I believe that. That you'll be leaders whether it's in this community or the next community or whatever, right? In your places of your, your career, whatever that looks like. And sometimes in life... We just want somebody to take notice that we're working hard. We're working. Jesus, don't you care? And I love this. She says, tell her to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. She's anxious and troubled about many things. And it kept her from what was necessary. Isn't that interesting? That how when we get anxious and troubled, we can be kept from the one thing that's actually necessary in our life. And that's sitting 
with Jesus. Also, I just want you to note that God calls nine people in the Bible twice by their name. Abraham, Abraham. Moses, Moses. And it's right before a moment of great significance in their life. And here, Jesus says, Martha, Martha. What he's about to say is something of great significance. And I would just say this, may we not miss what Jesus is saying. One thing is necessary. And it will not be taken from her. Do we find the kingdom of God to be the priority of our life? The reign and the rule of Jesus. The one thing that's necessary. Matthew Henry says, going back to our passage in verse 33, the more primary, the more central his kingship becomes in our lives, the less anxiety we will have. Jesus came, lived, died, rose from the dead in order that we might reign as king over, that he might reign as king over an anxiety-free people. If seeking first the kingdom of God creates anxiety in your life, then we're doing something wrong. But we should delight in, as we grow, and we should delight in his reign and his rule in every area of our life. When I was in Montana, I made it a point. I prioritized everything that had to do with God. I not only prioritized my devotional life with him, but I prioritized the community of God. Friends, I'm just going to be honest with you. Like, this is the craziest thing. I'm not an academic, right? But the truth is in that season of my life, when I made God the priority, the focus of my life, right, I actually became an academic All-American, and I just chose not to miss anything where I could encounter God. It was the prayer meeting, I was there. It was the social event with my Chi Alpha friends, I was there. It was the large group service, I was there. It was Bible study, I was there. I just chose. That didn't mean that I got to hang out till two in the morning after large group and do whatever I wanted. No, many times I had to go to the library after large group and study. But I just chose not to do it. And I, to be honest, no one was more shocked that I was an academic All-American than me. You know what I'm saying? When I got the letter, I was like, what? This has got to be wrong. But because I believe God was speaking to me in that moment. More than anything, I think God wanted me to see, like, I can trust him when I put him first. If we're consumed with schoolwork that keeps us from sleeping, from fellowshipping with Jesus and his people, from partaking in the work of the kingdom, then we might have misplaced priorities. This doesn't mean if you miss a large group that you're out of it. Maybe if you miss a life group, we have to talk, but... <laughs> but I, this, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But I want us to understand that Jesus is teaching us this important principle. This is what it looks like to seek first the kingdom. It's not about legalism. And the reason he throws out legalism is because he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he throws out the idea with that statement that you can earn this thing. Because what is righteousness? Righteousness is the condition acceptable by God. I like referring to it as in right standing. If you seek first his reign and rule in your life and his righteousness, you can't become legalistic in your approach to God. Because right standing with God is, is pure, is holy, is selfless. This is what God's righteousness looks like. And you might say, wait, wait, wait a second. That's the problem. We're sinners saved by grace. How does God expect us to live that way? Well, that's a great question. Our righteousness is from Jesus, right? That, that his righteousness is imputed to us, that we are seen as righteous because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. 
that we're in right standing, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what he's done. You and I are seen rightly before God when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior and put our faith in what he's done. We stand before God and God looks down upon us through what Christ has done for us. And we are as white as snow before a holy God. That's powerful. Amen? It's the same grace that saves you that helps us to live a life that's set apart unto God. To seek first his kingdom. Let me read one more scripture. This is Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The beauty of it all. is that Jesus really paved the way for us and what it looks like to be men and women that are a part of this kingdom is that we seek first the kingdom of God, that we know that God will take care of us. I love how Jesus even says, like, what good is it for us? You can't add any time to your life to, as you worry about these things, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Right? That's the beauty of it, that God desires for you and I to live a life filled with his peace and his presence in our life that you don't have to worry wouldn't it be amazing to not just know it here, but experience it on a day-to-day basis? Could I have the band come back? As the band is coming back, I want to share a story with you, so stay focused, okay? I want to share a story about a man who I believe lived this way. Like, he lived it out. His life was known for the man who sought after, right? He was someone who sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things were added to him. He went by the name of George Mueller. George Mueller was a native German He was born on September 27th, 1807, and lived almost the entire 19th century. He died March 10th, 1898, at the age of 92. He saw the Great Awakening of 1859, which he said led to the conversion of hundreds of thousands. He did follow-up work for D.L. Moody, preached for Charles Spurgeon, and inspired the missionary faith of Hudson Taylor. He spent most of of his life in Bristol, England, and pastored the same church there for over 66 years. He was most known for around the world in his own lifetime and still today for his ministry to orphans. He built five large orphan houses and cared for 10,024 orphans in his life. When he started in 1834, there were accommodations for 3,600... 3,600 orphans in all of England, and twice as many children under eight were in prison. One of the great effects of Mueller's ministry was to inspire others so that, the, that 50 years after Mr. Mueller began his work, at least 100,000 orphans were cared for in England alone. He did all this while he was preaching three times a week from 1830 to 1889, at least 10,000 times. And when he turned 70, he fulfilled a lifelong dream of missionary work for the next 17 years until he was 87. At age 92, not long before he died, he wrote, I have been able every day and all the day to work, and that with ease as 70 years since. He led a prayer meeting at his church on the evening of Wednesday, March 9th, 1898. The next day, a cup of tea was taken to him at 7 in the morning 
But to no answer came at the knock of the door. He was found dead on the floor beside his bed. The funeral was held the following Monday in Bristol, where he had served for 66 years. Tens of thousands of people reverently stood along the route of the simple procession. Men left their workshops and offices. Women left their elegant homes and humble kitchens, all seeking to pay a last token of respect. A thousand children gathered for the service at the orphan house number three. They now, for a second time, lost a father. He had read his Bible from end to end almost 200 times. He had prayed in millions of dollars in today's currency for the orphans and never asked anyone directly for money. He never took a salary in the last 68 years of his ministry, but trusted God to put in people's hearts to send him what he needed. He never took out a loan or went into debt, and neither he nor the orphans were ever hungry. George Mueller said this, The longer I live, the more I am enabled to realize that I have but one life on earth and that this one life is but a brief life for sowing in comparison with eternity for reaping. May we live a life of faith like George Mueller and may we seek God and may God be our priority. That's what it looks like. Right, this was a man of great faith. So here's how I want to respond. Perhaps there's some people in this room tonight that maybe you're just here checking out the idea of of God. And this God who we worship tonight, this God that is in our midst, is the God who loves you so much that doesn't want to remain separated from you for eternity, but desires relationship with you. And so he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to earth, wrapped himself in flesh, walked this earth, was sinless, and he died a brutal death and rose three days later, conquering sin, death, and the grave because sin had to be paid for. And so he took it upon himself to die so that you and I could be restored into a relationship with the holy God, that our sins could be forgiven, that they could be washed as white as snow so that we could stand before a holy God and have relationship with this God. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus like that, the Bible says in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ, whom they sent. The word know means to personally and intimately interact with. If you're here today and you don't know God like that, you don't know God like that. Friend, you can know God like that. that you can personally and intimately interact with him. And he not, not only can you do that, he longs to do that with you. He doesn't want eternity without you, friend. And so if you're here tonight and you're not right with God, but you would like to be right with God, for your sin to be forgiven, your relationship to be restored, I just want you to slip up your hand right now. Is there anyone here who would say, that's me? I want to be right with Jesus. I just want you to slip up your hand. Is there anyone here that today you recognize your need. Wow. I didn't quite see who raised their hand. Is there anyone else? Anyone else that wants to give their life to Jesus? Is there anyone else? Anyone else? All right, let's stand up and let's just pray together as a family. 
And if you're the one that raised your hand, or maybe perhaps even tonight you didn't raise your hand, uh, we've got some staff that are back at that Connection Corner. We've got a Bible for you. We'd love to connect with you. And so let's just pray this together. So I'll say a line. You just repeat it. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son to die for me. Tonight, I recognize my need for you. And I repent of my sin. And I receive the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus, would you be the Lord and Savior of my life? Would you help me to live every day of my life? Seeking first your reign and rule and your righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. For the rest of us here today, maybe anxiety is something that has just been impacting your life and you recognize that you're worried about a lot of things. You maybe maybe you identify with Martha, right? Like you're anxious and troubled about many things. And so much so that it's kept you from spending time with Jesus. Right? That we think that if we're we become even more and more and more focused on the thing that is consuming us, like all of a sudden we'll find freedom in it, but we'll never find freedom in it but that we would know what it's like to know the peace of God, to seek first his kingdom. So maybe this is something that you're dealing with. We're going to open these altars in a moment. And if you are riveted with anxiety, or maybe you just recognize that sometimes you just, you just really get consumed with certain things and you forget that God cares deeply about you and just would love to pray with you tonight. And then there's maybe some of us that just recognize, like, my priority has been off. Not just, maybe, maybe for some of you, it's not really necessarily like you're anxious about anything, but maybe some of you just recognize tonight that like, man, I'm not putting the kingdom of the reign and the rule of Jesus Christ in every area of my life first. And yet tonight, I I really want to live that way because he's worthy of it. love for you to respond as well. And if those are some things that you want to do, you want to lay down anxiety, you want to know the Prince of Peace in a deeper, more profound way, or you just realize, man, I need to get my priorities straight. These altars are going to be open. I'm going to say a quick prayer, and then you can come forward. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for tonight. God, we praise you. We love you. God, we thank you that you are a God that desires us to be free from anxiety. God, that you desire us to know the truth of who you are as the Prince of Peace in our life. God, this peace that surpasses all understanding, that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. God, I ask God right now, God, that you would come in like a flood. God, and where anxiety has kept people awake at night, where anxiety about failure, anxiety about their future, anxiety about their family, anxiety about whatever it is, God, we're just saying, come on, in Jesus' name, that you would strip that from us and this community. And God, I pray for those of us, God, that, man, just recognize today that we've not been people that are seeking first your reign and rule and your righteousness. God, that that we're not seeking your reign and rule in, in our studies. We're not seeking your reign and rule in our social life. We're not seeking your reign and rule in our private life. But God, we want to. We're asking for your grace to come in the room and to empower your people to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. God, would you do that tonight? And so friends, I just encourage you, if, if, if you need prayer because anxiety has been something you've been dealing with for far too long, I'd like you to come forward. Or if you recognize that seeking his reign and rule in your life and his righteousness has not been a priority, 
and you realize you need to get your priorities straight, I invite you to come forward tonight. So God, we just thank you. We praise you, Lord Jesus. We worship you, God. There's no one more worthy than you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, God. Thank you, Lord. We need you, Jesus. Thank you for tuning in to the Ignite Sessions podcast. To learn more about Virginia Tech Chi Alpha, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it using the hashtag TheIgniteSessions. We'll see you next time.